Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. What does Steve Vai slash Mucky and Head, Doug Rappaport, Duff McKagan, Jerry Cantrell, Vernon Reed, Ben Moody, Scott Ian, John Five, and others have in common? <sighs> the answer? Stephen McSwain and his bulletproof, unbelievably beautiful artistic guitars. Stephen has such a cool story of building a custom guitar kingdom out of the back of his car. I'd never spoken to Stephen before this interview, but I'm pretty sure I have a lifelong friend. Here's Stephen McSwain. Thinking and drinking, Stephen McSwain, guitar builder to the stars. Hey, man. man. What's going on? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I love those freaking glasses, by the way. Uh, well, dude, at, at 52 years old, it's like <laughs> I, I had bought the old five five pack uh, uh, Amazon readers, and just I'm so rough on my wife's like. You get something cool. So, of course, you know, you get all these ads for, um, I don't know if you ever, ever see them called Caddies, K D D I S. And it looks like everybody's living their best life. You know, it's this, this <laughs> everybody's laughing and they got their surfboard and the straw hat and drinking a beer. And I'm like, maybe I should get some of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, did Brighten they everything up a little bit? <laughs> did they make your life that much better? No. <laughs> well, I can actually read my phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yes, if that makes my life better, then yes. <laughs> so did did you run out of arm eventually? You couldn't hold Dude, your phone. I I I think I've extended the uh, average length of the human arm by two two or three uh, inches. <laughs> I'm literally the literal knuckle dragger around here from having to hold my phone so far away from the heat so I can read it. <laughs> oh man. Well, I will uh, go back. I mean, you you have such a cool story, and you you were talking on your website about 1996. You're working in a steel company in Charlotte, North Carolina. Is is Charlotte your hometown? Yeah, man. Well, Gastonia, which is uh, okay. right outside of Charlotte. So I grew up in in Gastonia. Um, and went to college at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, then oh, got okay. a job selling medical supplies back in Charlotte. And they gave me my hometown as my territory. Um, so that's what kind of put me back there. And, you know, living in Gastonia, I uh, had some friends who had a place in Charlotte and had an extra room. So I ended up moving in with them. And that's how I ended up back in Charlotte. So are you from a, a musical family? Yeah, you know, um, my, I, I kind of got the best of both worlds. My my dad is very musical. My brother uh, was a music major at Wake Forest. Um, you know, oh, I went wow. the Eastman School of Music. Uh, my sister, you know, we all grew up actually starting in church choir, believe it or not. Okay. And then um, uh, my mom's very artistic, and uh, she painted and well, still does and you know uh, makes sculptures and all, I mean just all kinds of stuff. Sews, you know. And so I kind of got the best of uh, nurturing from both of those sides. And um, we were always singing and you know, three-part harmonies, four-part harmonies, and just cracking. Even to this day, we'll sing happy birthday and four-part harmony to each other, you know. Oh, that's and um, so, I, you know, I, I grew up around that, always, you know, singing country music uh, on my dad's car radio and just the coolest stuff, man, you know? So I, I feel real fortunate to have, have grown up around that. We're trying to do the same thing in our house with, with our boys now. So, man, that's awesome, dude. Does your wife sing? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> she's, she's the one that keeps us together. So, you know, she, uh, she's got the smarts and the organization. If not, we'd be living, living in some cardboard box somewhere with some, well, a lot of singing going on. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've often said, and, and my wife knows that I say this, that uh, when God put the phrase in the Bible, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, he was thinking about Amy when he said that. So <laughs> <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> she, that's awesome. <laughs> she can play the radio better than anyone I know, and that's about it. So, yeah, that's that's Rob and my wife. She's really like that. <laughs> well then what got you interested in 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 building guitars? I mean, obviously you are working with your hands and doing all sorts of stuff. Right. Well, you know, man, I tell you, I 
I mean, when I was a kid, like I said, my, my parents got me Dremel tools and exacto knives and things yeah. like that. So I was always drawing and sketching and carving and building models. And, and, and then, um, I had begged and begged and begged for, I, I was just, you know, of course, found out about kiss and and all these different you know <laughs> bands and of course kiss was the gateway drug to rock and roll my life was ruined after that. absolutely so absolutely I, I, I wanted to learn how to play you know and my dad um had an older brother who was a bluegrass picker and so i begged for like an electric guitar i wanted uh first like a black fender strap you know way out of my price range so yeah. and then i got into the the whole wanted a jackson you know i had to have that Vice Sparkle Crackle Finish Jackson, yep. but that never happened. So the first guitar that I ever got, what belonged to my uncle, um, who the bluegrass picker, my dad bought it off of him, and I thought it was just a piece of junk. But it turns out that it was a 1943 Martin 0018 acoustic. Holy and so cow! That was my very first guitar. I'm like, oh, this old beater. You know, he had the neck had separated from the body, so my dad had it repaired. And that's what I taught myself how to play guitar on. And I still have it to this day, man. It's, it's like, it, it, it's such a great little, you know, mid-range tone guitar. And, uh, and that started that. But, you know, I, that was the guitar part of it. Like, I, you know, you remember the first Sony Walkman, those big silver bricks that had the cassettes that you play in them? Absolutely. I, each one of us, my brother and sister and I got one for Christmas one year. And then I kind of took theirs over and wore all three of them out by play, rewind, play, rewind, learning Zeppelin and ACDC <laughs> and all of this stuff. And just, you know, so that was it, man. I just, I, that was, I was too far gone at that point. But um, one of the, the, other sides of it with the singing, you know, like I said, I was in church choir and then um, I had an incredible choral music program at my high school, Ashbrook High School in Gastonia, North Carolina. And um, our, our director was uh, Becky Ryan uh, and she was all about in exposing us to as much classical music as possible. So mm. I literally was classically trained as a first tenor um, all through high school. And then when I got into Furman, joined their, um, their choral group and, you know, uh, under uh, Bill Thomas and then um, uh, another uh, friend of mine, Trip McGill, who was also uh, at Ashbrook High School. He actually became the choral director after uh, Beck Becky Ryan uh, retired. And it, they just were so great, man. We would go to, uh, Austria and Germany on these, uh, these trips and singing in opera houses. And, and I, I will never forget one of the greatest musical experiences in my life was we were, I think it's called the Sophienthal Opera House in Vienna, Austria. And I had a, a tenor solo in um, Beethoven Mass and C major. And it was just like, are you kidding me? So that kind of, you know, set the stage, you know, literally and figuratively for the rest of my life. I mean, I was just bitten by the bug, man. It's like anything to do with guitars and singing and music. <laughs> I was all in, dude. <laughs> and somebody found you very quietly in the corner and you were just going like, if I had a Friedman brown eye and a guitar with a Ouija board <laughs> on it, I could really do some damage in here. I know. Yeah, man. Unfortunately, that just came around about... Uh, uh, 30 years too late. So, <laughs> By the way, I've, I've named the Ouija board guitar 667 because it's too evil for evil. <laughs> Thanks. Well, it's funny with that one I just finished. I don't know if you saw the video I posted on Instagram. Yeah, man. I had, um, I'd done a couple of them. Um, the first one was for uh, 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 my buddy, Ben Moody, who was with Evanescence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was, yeah. So Ben, Ben, commissioned about 10 guitars from me. He still uh, holds the record in the most McSwain guitars owned by a single person. Yes. And so we had become really good friends. And that guitar, um, he wanted one that had a clear plexiglass top on it. He wanted it to, to glow. So I actually made a completely hollow electric guitar with lights on the inside that reflected this creepy glow on up through the uh, plexiglass with the oh Ouija gosh. board design on it. And I actually pricked my finger and, and put a little bit of blood on there. I was like, I might be kind of dancing with the devil a little too close there. So I, was, I decided to stop doing that, you know, yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I've made a, I made a few of those now. So, well, you, you moved to LA to build guitars full time. I mean, what, what gave you the, the, courage to do that were you married already or did you meet robin out there or 
Well, I would say what gave me the stupidity to do that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> no, no, you know, I tell you, I was, uh, it, it could not have happened any, uh, at any other time because I had, um, all the, all the barriers that would prevent you from making such a huge move like that. Um, I, I was single. Um, I had quit my, my corporate job at the steel company because the Japanese, uh, a Japanese distribution company called uh, hotline music corporation had bought 10 guitars, which was more than my, uh, salary, uh, selling steel. So I had quit. There was nothing really holding me back. Uh, my buddy, Johnny Edwards with coffin case had an extra room and a garage where I could work out of. So moved in with him and I literally just said, you know what, if I don't do this now, I will never have another chance to do this. So I packed everything up and just, and split. And I said, if it doesn't work out, I can move out, move back and get another job. You know I mean? Like, but if I don't do this now, I will always regret it. And, um, I just did it, man. It's like, I knew I wanted to play music. I wanted to build guitars and I just had kind of that naivete at 27, 28 years old just to do it, you know? And yeah. so, I, and I met uh, my wife, uh, Robin, out there a couple of years later and we started dating and, you know, got serious and then got married and had two, two, two boys. So, you know, who are now That's... 15 and 16. So, Gosh. well, how did you get the word out? I mean, did you just throw some guitars in the back of your station wagon and head to the whiskey or what? How did you do that? Yeah. Well, I kind of had already sort of set the groundwork. Um, and Charlotte, I would weasel my way backstage at every concert that came through town. Like this is before cell phones. Like I had every production number and found it. And, um, you know, I would go and, and take guitars down and show it either a club or at the sheds or at the, you know, the con- uh, uh, Coliseum or wherever. And so right. I had picked up, um, uh, God, who, let's see. Vernon Reed bought one. Um, oh, Allison Chains bought a couple. Um, oh gosh, man, I I had a bunch of people uh, buy these, you know, these things from just me going backstage. Yeah. And I, right before I moved to LA, I had met um, I met uh, Monkey and Head from Corn, okay. and they had just released Life Is Peachy. Uh, was it Life Is Peachy? Um, I think so. Uh, they were and they were getting ready to go into the studio in LA. Um, at NRG Studios uh, to record Follow the Leader. And so Johnny was working at the studio at the time. So we would go hang out and I would take guitars down and Jay Baumgartner, who owns NRG, was just always super cool to me and would literally just, you know, let me bring guitars in. And I've always been real careful, you know, to kind of read the room and the people. And it's like, I don't want to insert myself too dramatically in there and if i sense that they're not interested i'm out i'm gone you know right, like, right. so i don't push it or you know do do you know make it weird for them so i i literally had um you know got two two orders from uh monkey and head which is interesting because just right before covid february of 2020 um before the shutdown we i took my now 15 year old son who's a drummer to see corn at the Moda Center here in Portland. And it was 25 years ago that I built those guitars for them. And uh, Head had it on tour in this little traveling museum with its show. So we got to see that. And they just rolled out the red carpet for us. We had uh, anywhere in the stadium or uh, the venue we wanted to go. And then Ray actually had Gunner up for the, in, uh, for the encore, literally standing behind him and behind his throne and he's like watch this watch this and he does a downbeat and it just the uh, confetti cannons go off and then gunner's like what is going on i mean just an experience that you just you know so he's like you know now he thinks that's the way it always should work and i'm like slow your roll kid yeah you, know, I, I, you yeah. gotta pay your dues so but yeah so i had a uh, long answer to, to a short question but i had kind of already set stuff up you know where i knew that i had some stuff coming in um, and then, you know, I would go to the studios or any concerts and I mean, LA and I'm sure same as Nashville, you just run into people, you know, and it's like, yeah. you just, it, it, that's just kind of the way it works. And so fortunately I was able to, you know, keep hustling and, and, uh, and selling guitars. Man. So did you always do the crazy metal themes and the knobs and everything like that? Or did you just, did you kind of work your way into that? Or was that just from the get go, yeah. you knew how you, know, you were going to set yourself apart no they they all started like i mean like this is one this like hand carved like i started doing stuff like this like this is a chunk of mahogany that's 
you know, I literally just would take the, the exactos and the Dremel tools and stuff and, and carve all this stuff out. And, you know, within the confines of a normal shape of a guitar, I mean, I've seen, you know, I'm sure you have to do yeah. outlandish stuff. It has to be comfortable and look, you know, yeah. somewhat normal, be like shape, that kind of thing. Of course. So, but it evolved from there. You know, I started doing that kind of stuff. I started doing different kind of paints and things. And then when I got to LA, um, I started experimenting with metal. And and uh, I know I've told this story a bunch, but um, Mike Tempesta, who was with Power oh, yeah. Man Five Thousand, yeah, and now he's with uh, Fender. Uh, and you know, he's he's such a good dude. He was um, a Schecter artist at the time, and I was doing a lot of subcontract work for Schecter and ESP. Again, some of that hustle to to make ends meet where I would do these crazy pieces for Nam for like ESP and Schecter. And, uh, and they would, you know, I, I would go over to the, the, you know, the, the shop and, and talk to people. And one day Mike was there and he's like, man, could you do something with this metal? And I, he had seen a Billy Gibbons guitar with oh. uh, some metal on the top. And I think, you know, a pressure gauge or something. And so I'm like, yeah, man. So I just started kind of doing them. It, it evolved from there. And that was sort of the natural progression of that. Man, that's amazing. I mean, you're, you're, I'm just looking at the guitars on the wall behind you. I just, I just am blown away every time. I just, it's so cool. But I love what you were talking about. Oh shoot, dude, you're that's it, playable artwork, obviously. But I love in well, your thanks, man. I appreciate it. Oh man, you're uh, the the video on your website. You talk about finding all that black walnut. I believe on your grandfather's farm after a. A storm? Yeah, my great uncle's farm. Great uncle. Yeah, Hurricane Hugo blew through there yep, in 89 and knocked down about 50 black walnut trees. And Man. so I was like, it, first off, it's beautiful wood, you know. Yeah, and no doubt. tonally, I dig it, man. It's like it has that sort of mid-range uh, uh, punch, but with warmth. So it's yeah. not as warm and kind of mushy as like a, a mahogany, but it's not as brittle and bright as, as maple. So it's kind of in between. So I, But I also like stories that go along with the wood, you know, and, and the wood that had been knocked down during this crazy ass storm. Yeah. You know, I was like, that's gotta be some good rock and roll material right there. So, you know, <laughs> are you still using any of that wood, man? That stuff is so long gone. When I moved to yeah. LA, I, I don't know what happened to it. I had some stashed, um, and the, where it was, it was like a, a, a friend of the family's barn. And I think it just, it, disappeared yeah. or something but i would i would go back to um gastonia when you know from la and wrap it in cardboard and put it in the you know like a hillbilly with a rope handle on it and put it in luggage and bring it back to la yeah. so <laughs> i i have a couple little pieces but nothing big enough for a, a guitar you know last time you were home you went to the neighbors and you go man that that fence looks very familiar <laughs> <laughs> Thump, thump, thump. I know, it's like, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, I mean, I've heard guys from Richard Hoover to Jim Triggs and all sorts of guitar builders talk about sometimes there's a, a shortage of wood. And, and are you mm-hmm. finding, are you, do you ever find it hard to find any of this wood that speaks to you and tells you a story like that? Well, you know, I mean, from now because i I have gotten so busy i you know pretty much buy stock lumber um you know i'll i'll get you know go to my suppliers here in portland and fortunately pacific northwest you can find some really good stuff well Um, yeah that's what i was a lot of figures you know yeah um but you know i tell you there's there's some some things that i will find like i'm working on one right now for an irish musician um named owen mcshane who has a band called midnight preachers um and he had he sent me a three foot log, a uh, chestnut log that's about ten inches in diameter. That it was from a tree that he and his grandfather had planted, you know, years ago. And they sold his family um, property, and so he cut that down and sent me that. And I've, I've slabbed it up and, and am letting it dry now. And I'm going to build a, a Tele style guitar form out of that. So Man. I mean, what gets better than that? You know, a tree yeah. that you planted with your grandpa. It's like so. You know, I that there are things that will come across my radar like that, where I'll find a piece or somebody will ask me about something. And, um, there's, a um, just some cool, cool materials out there too, that are not necessarily guitar specific, you know? Yeah. I've been seeing, uh, electric guitars made out of pine lately and I I've never played one. I don't, I don't know what they sound like. 
You know, that's what's interesting. And this is one of the things I think with experimenting with different woods is if you build the guitar where it's going to play good and you, you can put some good pickups in it, you can pretty much make anything sound good. Yeah. So yeah. I think pine has a real, a real spongy kind of quality to it. So it's not, it's, you know, real soft. I mean, much, yeah. much softer than, than mahogany. So I think weight might be a, a factor in that, but yeah. you know, uh, it just looks cool too. It looks like, you know, you went and literally ripped the side off of a barn yeah. and there's your guitar, you know? So. Yeah. It's a good, like butterscotch telly kind of, kind of looking wood. Exactly. Like exactly. a blackguard kind of thing. So what yep. got you, what you got you up to, to Portland, Oregon? I mean, you, Doug Rappaport, Paul Gilbert. I mean, what's going on in Portland that's bringing all these guitar gods up there? <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I We moved up. Um, a, a friend of mine was coming up and he had, he asked, he's like, would you guys ever consider moving up? And and um, he had he had, uh, it has a company called Starling Gear and, and he makes these really cool skull rings and and we used to do a lot of collaborative stuff together and um, he's like you know I'm 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 bugging out of L.A. man I'm done and and you know I was kind of on the hamster wheel in L.A. where bartending at night a few nights a week um, mm. and then building guitars all day long every day yeah. and it was great you know because I was making some some good money and and able to support the family and. Um, it just, I was just getting burned, you know, just so burned out on, on the traffic. I mean, anywhere you want to go, it's, you know, even if it's, it would take, this is my perfect analogy. It would take me two hours to drive 18 miles from my place in the Valley over to Malibu on Sundays to go surf with my kids. It takes me an hour and a half to drive 60 miles to the coast here through beautiful forest. (laughs) So it's like, I'm going five times the distance at, you know, uh, less time. So um, I just kind of got tired of, of the, just the traffic and the crowdedness and it was hot and, you know, get 110 in the Valley and be 105 in my garage. I was like, oh man. And there again, yeah. it's like, try it out. If it Portland didn't work out, we could always move back or move somewhere else. So we moved up and just absolutely love it. Um, I think it's an easy, kind of an easier way of life up here. Yeah. Um, I, Portland's gotten a, Portland's gotten kind of a bad rap over the past year with the protests and things like that. And, you know, and the news and media just focuses on this one little micro spot downtown that, that is in pretty bad shape. And the rest of Portland, if you didn't leave your house or your neighborhood, you would never know that was going on. You know, right. so yeah. we love it, man. It's beautiful. It rains. It's like the summers are absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's green. You know, you got mountains, you got beach, you got desert and just a lot to offer. And I think, um, you know, for the guys like Doug and Paul and Kelly Lemieux, Kelly also plays in mine and Doug's ACDC tribute band. Um, oh, okay. They, the uh, uh, you know, you can get in and out of uh, Portland PDX International really easily. You can get yeah. there in 15 minutes and, and hop on a flight anywhere in the world, you know. So I think being able to have sort of more of a, a slower kind of style of life here and be able to travel easily like that. So I think that might have something to do with it, you know. I think you the also, cost of living is, is a lot cheaper. Oh, man. Plus, you got great coffee and great microbrews. Yeah, man, I know that. <laughs> yes, I we do. every single one of those micro brews. So, <laughs> well, your guitars, man, are are so rock and roll. Has there have you ever been just totally blown away by an application of one of them, like a super complicated Bucky Pizzarelli Stella by Starlight jazz thing or something? You know, I, I see the I see you know. So, I mean, what, what's interesting is like, I just posted a video up on Instagram of Doug uh, at NAM playing my, one of my black flag tellies. Yeah, and man, when you see awesome. something like that in the hands of a monster like Doug, it's just like, Oh my God, you know, that, yeah. that inspires me right there, you know, cause I'm such a hack player. I mean, it's <laughs> like, I can hang out, you know, I'm like a, ch- a chimp in a shot collar. I, I can bang out three chords and, you know, sing to it. But, but man, when you see somebody actually make incredible, music with it and just watch what can be done with it that's completely inspiring to me you know did you say <laughs> chimp in a shock collar <laughs> <laughs> you, you get the visual that's me when i play guitar <laughs> <laughs> we we have a winner right there <laughs> yeah that's i i always love i mean i've got 
strap. I don't know how many guitars. I mean, oh, I love know. what you got back there on the wall in, see, in the studio. That's killer. Some of them. I mean, oh yeah. But it's so much fun. I love writing and giving my co-writer my guitar because that way I get to hear the guitar from the front instead of from the top, you know? That's interesting. You know, I never thought about that. That's actually a really interesting um, way to approach it. Well, especially, I mean, either electric or acoustic because, I mean, you know, I mean, I remember Eddie Van Halen talking about that when Van Halen 1 came out, they went out and played uh, open for Ted Nugent. And Ted started oh, yeah. cu- coming out and watching Soundcheck. And one day, Ted came up to Eddie and goes, hey, man, can I play your guitar? And he said, sure. And he took it off and he handed it to him. And the interviewer said, what did it sound like? And he goes, <laughs> it sounded like Ted Nugent playing through my rig. And, as he, and, you know, and, and he was the first person to put the idea in my head as you very, very well know that so much of the tone is in your fingers. So you and me no can question. hand a guitar, hand a guitar back and forth and it ain't going to ever sound the same. And that's no, always, no, that's and it. It. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, I want, and, and on that same note, um, I think it was Matt Sorum um, had, picked up like a hundred dollars strat you know like a like a, a just a knockoff strat with old strings and it sounds like bill gibbons you know it's like a, a piece piece of junk hundred dollar guitar and, and yeah. gibbons picks it up and there's billy gibbons you know yeah yeah <laughs> that's a that's a <laughs> funny thing man so it's your guitars are so custom made and designed and i'm assuming you know just pretty much one at a time and i mean have you ever have you ever had the thought of you know taking that next step and trying to be the next prs and going a little more mainstream or do you just love the yeah man Uh, you know i have i have wrestled with that and still wrestle with it to this day and um because I had done, and I'll, I'll kind of take you through the different iterations of it. You know, of course, I was like, oh, I'm going to be the next PRS. And, you know, and met Paul at NAM and showed him one of my carved guitars. He's like, yeah, if you, you know, you, you ever think about carving like an eagle or something? They had done some eagle carving thing. And I'm like, I'm going to be the next PRS. Because honestly, I think he and I kind of started the same way where we built something did. and would take it backstage and get it in the hands. Yep. This happened to be Santana. And I, you know, I had talked to um, a couple different uh, factories overseas, like most uh, of these, you know, guitar companies do, and they'll have their version of these guitars made in, in, in uh, South Korea. And they, they build incredible stuff there. These yeah. factories uh, are just amazing. And there's one factory in particular I think, that builds most everybody's stuff, you know, and it's a fraction of the cost. And I'm like, well, I, I really like the whole USA made thing, you know, yeah. so there would be a different varying way you could scale that back. But, you know, I had done um, a license deal with uh, a, a company called OLP, which stood for original license product. Okay. Um, while, while I was bartending in LA, um, uh, Sterling ball sat down at my yeah. bar, like a little three seater bar at the steakhouse. And, and I said, you're Sterling Ball, right? And he goes, yeah, who the hell are you? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm Stephen McClain. Here, I have my car. I build these cars, you know, and then just give him an earful. I said, I, I, I'm kind of curious. I don't really know how to get from where I am now to actually bringing in guitars from overseas or, or you know, building up uh, manufacturing capabilities. And he's like, you know what? He goes, I, he had started OLP with the idea of going to small high-end builders like myself and different uh, companies and doing an offshore uh, build of those, which would be a fraction of the cost of the same style of okay. design. Okay, that makes total so sense because the first yeah. OLP guitars I ever saw were all Music Man looking guitars. Yeah. 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 Okay. Exactly. So he was he was going to do that, and they they did it for a couple years, and I think Guitar Center bought about five thousand of the what they called the TIN ten top, which is a little play on the number 10 top PRS, you know? Okay. And it was literally a metal top with like a pressure gauge in it. And, um, they still, I, I still, I got an email a couple days ago from a guy's like, I think I found one of your custom gyms in an old pawn shop. And I'm like, Oh, sorry to, sorry to let the air out of your balloon, but no, that's an OLP. <laughs> so, but they're cool guitars, man. And, uh, 
that kind of was uh, my my bridging the gap between actually bringing in container loads of, of guitars <laughs> as uh, versus you know building one by one. Um, and it was cool. I made some money off of it. You know, a couple of years later, I did a deal with Cork Guitars um, with a okay. graphic for my gas can and oil can stuff. Great guitars. Um, but, you know, I just love building so much that yeah. I kind of scaled it back to where I just said, you know what, I'm going to keep cranking them out as fast as I can. There's only physically so many that I can make, but I love every aspect of building the guitar you know it's like so i, I mean i I'm, I'm one of those dudes like yourself that you get to do what you love to do as a job you know so yeah. um i just i get up and i'm like oh man i get to do this today you know the sanding part gets a little monotonous and yeah. tedious at times but you know but that's just part of it i took a class and built one acoustic guitar and just under just micro understanding bracing and stuff and after we did the bracing for the top, I came home and I looked inside every one of my acoustic guitars and just like, there's, that's like, it's mad scientist time. Every company's different. Every company's right. Yep. It just yeah. find, finds a different way. And you're right. The sanding is absolutely the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's interesting. It's with the, with the bracing. That's a perfect, um, uh, a perfect example of, you know, I didn't, learn how to build guitars the traditional way. I didn't go to school for it. I, I bought a yeah. couple of books just for the mechanics of it, but it was sort of trial and error, you know, and I figured out stuff that I don't know if it's right to this day, but it works. But you it, know? Yeah. It, it works for me. Yeah. So then so. it's right. Yeah. Well, um, has anybody, I mean, you were talking about Ben Moody and the plexiglass guitar. I mean, and you've got metal guitars and you've got, the Budweiser guitars and the oil can guitars <laughs> and all the awesome knobs and everything. Has anybody ever completely stumped you and asked you for something you just couldn't make? Or did you just go, yeah, oh, let man. me find a way to do it. I mean, all the gauges and everything, you must have nine volts galore in some of those guitars, man. I, they I, just look awesome. Well, it's, it's funny. Um, the, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, nobody's really come at me with anything that's just so outlandish that I can't figure it out. You know, I'm fortunate in the way that my, my brain kind of works where I'll think about something and I'll have no idea how to do it. And then all of a sudden, two days later, I'll be like, that's how I'm going to do it. So your subconscious is constantly going and problem solving and how to (laughs) either make this tool to do this. Um, I did most recently um, this, one of the toughest guitars I've had to build was again with Ben Moody. He bought both, uh, both of these, no, he bought one. I think I call it the metal Inferno, which is like hot rod flames, like that, that metal flake went on the wall back there. That one, um, it's that same design, but it's hammered in. I did one that I hammered into copper and one that I hammered into aluminum. So I made this mold um, out of plywood like they did um, the Statue of Liberty. It's called Ray Pouze, which means to beat or to hammer. So you take this metal and you hammer it into this form. And that's exactly how they did the Statue of Liberty. So I was like, well, I'm dumb enough to try. So I did it and it turned out really cool. But that was, oh God, probably 15 years ago that I did those. And so I had a client say, hey, I want you to build one of those for me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And finally, he's like, yes, yes, yes. And he said, but I want it really clean looking. I can make anything look beat up, you know. And sure, so yeah. I, I literally had to go back and figure out how to do that again. And, you know, the designs changed a little bit. I think when I was building those, there were 25 and a half inch scale, fender scale. Okay. And I, now everything is more Gibson scale, um, like a 24 and three quarters, 24 and five eighths. So the, the flames were a little off from what the mold was. So I had to go back and kind of reconfigure. And it was it was super fun because it was a challenge, you know, and, and it turned out really cool and it had no distress on it and just looked super clean and the client was stoked, you know. So that's my, my most important thing is, is as long as the client is, is completely happy with what they get, then, you know, my job is done. I just I think it's, I mean, you, you know, we always see these guitars that are relict and you're actually using like old steel Budweiser cans and stuff. It's like your guitars are relic before you even finish making them. So and father cool. time relics them, you know? Yeah. yeah. And well, it, 
a lot of times you can't find some of these things like the the stay cool. I actually reproduce those now because I found two of them in my entire 20 years of having or 15 years, whatever, having bought the original one. Um, because it's just, I think there were a bunch of different little, um, refineries, uh, back in the forties and fifties that were sort of mom and pop shops and they, they're long gone, you know, either yeah. got gobbled up by a bigger company or something, but the graphics on those cans were so cool that you can't find them anymore, you know, right. especially with, uh, shows like American Pickers, people kind of know what they have, but I, that's one that I recreated, but I will, and basically hyper aged, um, you know, using chemicals and, and actual rust paint and things like that. So it really looks like it's been sitting around in a, a you know, an automotive garage for 60, 70 years. Yeah. The American picker guy lives about seven miles from us. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. Cool. And so there's, I said, Hey, <laughs> <I will. laughs> and thank you for ruining pawn shops. <laughs> <laughs> so you alluded to a band that you and little dougie rapaport have called the dcs i believe <laughs> yep uh man i mean i've watched all your youtube videos and stuff i just i mean finding out now that you're a classically trained vocalist and hearing you belt out acdc stuff just blows me away how did that come about well, you know, like I said, um, the gateway drug of KISS and then which led into ACDC. <laughs> um, I, I had always played guitar and, you know, and sang, but I never really pushed into that gravelly. So I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Um, when I was in, co- I got to college, I was literally walking in and one of my buddies, um, a guy named Clark Sehan, uh, who was a year older than me, you know, he had the long curly hair and the skull of the, the dangling pirate sword uh, earring. Oh, yes. He's like, dude, you play guitar? He goes, I play bass. We've got to put together a band. And my parents are like, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> you're here to learn, you know? So, of course, I did my choral thing for a while and then uh, realized I could get free beer at the local, local uh, <laughs> dive playing music down the street, you know? And, uh, and so, of course, that just threw me further down the rabbit hole. Um, so we, you know, played music all through college in, in this band. Um, and then I, I just, I loved it. You know, I was singing yeah. and we were doing, you know, mainly covers, um, doing a lot of cult stuff. Uh, cult Electric had come out at that point. Right, and right. so I could pull off a pretty close Ian Asbury, which I, I actually have a cult cover band here in Portland too. Portland's known for its tribute band. So there, there's a lot of them. So I'm in, I'm the singer in the cult tribute band and an ACDC tribute band here. So yeah, because they're, uh, they're so just, similar vocally they, you know what they are exactly exactly so but with the with the acdc stuff you know i had never really tried that there was um a point i had just turned 40 and i'm like you know what man I, there was a uh at the viper room they would do on monday nights they would do these album nights and they had done oh, yeah. appetite uh for destruction and so all these different musicians would get up and play and it just was packed to the gills. I'm like, I got to get in on that. So they were doing back in black. And so I had jammed with the guys and, and, um, and I'm like, dude, you gotta, you gotta come open, open the show with uh, back in black and shoot the thrill. So I said, I got to work on this and make sure that I can do this. And I started singing it in the car and really pushing the yeah. boundaries vocally of hitting those notes with that gravel. And I think the classical training has had taught me how to sing properly. So I'm not blowing my voice out, you Absolutely. know, and you can do it and then still actually be able to do it over and over and over and replicate yeah. it. So that gig was the kickoff of it. And nobody knew who in the hell I was. Cause I wasn't really in that scene and I got Phil X to come and, and do it with me. So nice. Phil played those first two songs with me and we just blew the roof off the place. <laughs> Everybody's like, who the hell are you? And I was like, ah, I'm just a dude. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I would do uh, more and more of those kind of things. And then um, once, once I moved up here, met Kelly and, and had seen Doug, um, you know, I, I think he was telling you about it on his episode of, of your podcast. Um, he'd gone head to head with Steve Vai when Steve was here yeah. touring and, you know, Steve Vai has my very first guitar. Gosh. And so I saw him and I looked him up and, and Kelly knew him. So they're all jamming ACDC at the rehearsal space. And Kelly goes, dude, get down here. Doug's here. We're doing some ACDC. And we did it. And we're just like, this is bad ass. And so we just started doing it and, and have, we don't, unfortunately we don't get to play that much because 
Kelly, you know, he's on the road now with Buck Cherry for the next six months because they've got a new incredible album out. Right. Um, Doug usually is on the road with Edgar uh, yep. throughout the summer. So it's and, and our drummer Ryan has a, a, a doom metal band called Hippie Death Cult, which they've, they've been getting a lot of really good okay. uh, accolade. And, and he's got a new album and they're hitting the road. So it'll come back around again when everybody slows down. But um, it's fun, man. It's super, super fun. Just it's like, you know, they handed me the keys to get behind the wheel of a Ferrari and say, "Here, drive this thing, kid." You know, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm playing with these badasses!" You know. Yeah, and you you can't crash, so it'll be cool. No, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so did uh, did Doug move up there first, or did you move up there first? I had moved up here, I think, about six months before he did. I got up here in October of 2014, okay. and I think he was a few months after that. And so um, he he lives in uh, uh, the kind of wine country area, which is about 30, 45 minutes away. Okay. And so he, you know, we, we don't get we don't get to get together as much as I'd like, but um, once in a while, you know. Did you know each other from L.A.? No, I just, like I said, I saw him oh, playing with man. Steve Vai when Steve was here and, and just got on his website and emailed him and said, hey, man, you know, that was amazing, you know, and introduced myself and we kind of went back and forth and, you know, so. That's unbelievable. Like <laughs> I was telling you before, man, you're the cover of Limelight uh, that I saw on. on Spirit, uh, Spirit of Radio. Spirit of Radio. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. I like limelight too. I want to do that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just killed it. Who were the the drummer and the bass player? Are they back from North Carolina? So, well, so the drummer is one of my best friends from Charlotte, a guy named Jeff Vandiver. Uh, we had a band called Carbon Black, which was all originals, and then you know we would do um, mix in a bunch of covers and stuff like that and play fraternity uh house parties all over the southeast you know right. when, when i lived in charlotte and i mean you know we all had corporate jobs and would knock off at noon on friday and then rent the old 16 passenger van and take the two back seats out and then just drive all over and um and jeff uh had hit me up he's just an incredible drummer and he's like hey man would you want to do this um spirit of radio cover he wanted me to play guitar on it and i'm like no, no, no. I, I got your guy who, who, if he'll do it, is your, who should play this. And so I asked Doug and Doug's like, yeah, man. So, um, the, uh, Jeff was playing bass. Um, the bass or, uh, Jeff was playing drums. The bass player, um, is, uh, a friend's son who, uh, lives in, I believe he lives in Austin, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know him, but, um, he, he added his stuff to it. Uh, the keyboards is one of my best friends and my business partner, Steve Hall, who lives on Bainbridge Island up in Seattle. Um, and he's just, he, we were in the, in the band in college together. I mean, oh, okay. just a ripping guitar player, ripping keyboard player, um, and just a fantastic singer in his, in, in his own right. He's actually learned and taught himself how to sing. Um, he did a cover of Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog, where he's doing everything. He's playing the bass, the drums, the key, uh, the guitars, and doing the Cornell parts and the Eddie Vedder parts, you know, and just yeah. nailed it, which you should look that up. It's really badass. I listen so he's to playing it. keys. Another, yeah, another friend of mine, um, Jerry Chapman, is uh, who has a, um, he, ha he, God, he's been playing around forever um, up in the Winston-Salem area. Um, and we had a band, Jeff, uh, the drummer, and, and, uh, Jerry and I had a band with a couple other guys called delicious with cornbread. And so <laughs> in the Southeast, and so Jerry's playing glockenspiel, you know, and, um, and our buddy Shelly Sutton and Andy ball, and they're all still playing, you know, around Charlotte and stuff like that. But the, uh, the, the interesting uh, part of it was it was mixed by my buddy, Les Hall, who is Steve's younger brother, who has a studio called five, three, seven studios in Atlanta. Okay. And I mean, he is just a monster. He does a lot of stuff with Rick Beato. Um, oh yeah. So he watched some of Rick's videos. Like he did a, a Wurlitzer, I think it was a Wurlitzer, um, or Hammond, Hammond or Wurlitzer, uh, solo, uh, in, I think it's, uh, uh, God, I can't remember what song it was. I'm losing my mind. Eric, Eric, uh, or Peter Frampton song. And, uh, oh. Rick breaks it down and, and Les is in that one. So he does a lot with, um, with Rick. But he mixed it and, and did all that stuff. And we actually, Doug, uh, I'm, Doug's playing guitar. Uh, Les is playing bass. I'm singing. And Chris Frazier from Foreigners playing drums. And we did a, a cover of um, 
Rain When I Die by Alice in Chains, which is, uh, it'll, it'll be coming up pretty soon. And that's another one of my favorite, uh, singers was Lane Staley and trying to emulate him and, I can pull up a pretty pretty decent one, so but it's just powerful, man. Yeah. Well, that there's a cat that carried a <laughs> carried a bag of demons with him everywhere he went. Man, for <clears throat> sure, it's just such a sad thing, and you know, for such a talented guy, yeah. just to just to <laughs> one of the creepiest out, things man. I ever saw was Van Halen on the Fuck tour, where they were Alice was opening for him, and he had fallen yeah. down the stairs and broken his leg or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he's on a wee- in a wheelchair with one leg sticking straight out. And he's got those giant bug-eyed sunglasses on. And he's just dragging himself around the stage with his good leg. And he's singing. Oh, my and God. <laughs> everybody in the crowd was like, oh. What do you think? What do you think? Do you, are you what? And he still sounded unbelievable. It was the weirdest thing ever. But- Man. Yeah, I I actually got to hang out with him a couple times. And, you know, when I first met them um, was in Charlotte. And, you know, again, Lane was one of my favorite singers, you know, and, oh, and yeah. I had um, again before before cell phones. This was when um, Dirt had come with Dirt or Dirt had just come out and they were doing a club tour with a Seattle band called Grunt Truck. And then it was Screaming oh, yeah. Trees and Alice in Chains. And it was sold out. So I'm driving through town in Charlotte and I see the tour buses. So I pull in and I see Mark Lanigan and he says, you coming to the show tonight? I'm like, no, man, it's sold out. And he goes, oh, I'll put you on my guest list. I'm like, dude, seriously? So I drove him up to a payphone, and he comes up and he's, uh, you know, he uses the payphone, calls somebody and gets back in the car. He goes, all right, well, cool. I, I got you on the list for two. I couldn't find anybody to go with me. I, I had asked Jeff Vandiver, my buddy. I'm like, dude, you got to come. He goes, man, I can't go. I'm like, you're crazy. So I went by myself. Took a couple guitars. Um, Jerry, uh, before the show, was opening a Gatorade bottle and it broke. And he, so he cut his his left hand like right uh, on the bottom side of his index finger. So he had, he was at the hospital getting stitches. Um, I didn't meet him until after the show, but so I go in and it's me and Lane and we're talking. And, and so we uh, we walk into the venue and Lane is uh, he you know I I think I had a cold at that point or something. I said. I'm rubbing my nose. He goes, what you rubbing your nose for? I said, oh, I got a cold. And he goes, well, how about turning me on to some of that cold? I was like, I was like no, man, it ain't like that. <laughs> so I ended up, I ended up, uh, you know, hanging out with him and I'm watching, you know, um, I'm watching Mark Lanigan and I'm just like, man, he's like Jim Morrison, you know, and L- Lane looks over, he goes, Jim Morrison with balls. <laughs> So we hung out, you know, and that was just, I mean, it was just the craziest thing, man. But he's just such an incredible performer and just got on the stage and destroyed that place. Yeah, man. What makes you tick the most, performing or or building guitars? Oh, performing uh, 100%. Really? I, I, you know, I, the, the consistency of being able to build guitars and be creative uh, as, a, as a quote unquote job yeah. is is worth its weight in gold and i would never give that up but man you you know it's like the that immediacy and that connection of interacting with the crowd when you're playing music and you got them right there in the palm of your hand and you're just blasting through stuff is just i mean words can't describe it you know i mean i've unfortunately i've never i've never done the whole tour thing um you know and i i I wouldn't do it now unless it was you know a a huge, I got an, a huge opportunity or something, but, um, <laughs> one of the closest to at bats that I ever got was, and I, I don't think I've ever really talked about this on, on a, a podcast or anything, but you know, Slash has got a couple of my guitars and we're buddies and we've been friends for a good, you know, 12 years now and, or, or longer now. But, um, when they kicked Wyland out of, um, uh, Velvet Revolver, I, I reached out to Slash. I'm like, dude, I said, you guys are looking for a singer. And he said, he goes, he goes, yeah. And I said, well, man, I'd love to, I'd love to get, you know, give it a shot. And he said, well, I didn't know you were a singer. I'm like, yeah. I said, I've been singing my entire life. And so I sent him a couple of my original things. And he's like, dude, I had no idea you could sing like this. And so he sent me four demo songs to put vocals on, which I found out a, a bunch of my friends, like um, uh, you might know him, Brian Nutter, uh, Nutter Guitars. Uh, I think oh, yeah. he lives in Nashville. He, 
we were talking a couple years ago and he got the same, you know, some of the same demos, which was cool to hear what he did. And then what I did, but I put vocals and, and worked on some lyrics and stuff. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. This could happen. This could happen. And then slash decided to do the solo project. But you know, slash, he's like, man, he goes, I, he goes, I'm blown away by what you did. You know, you did. Uh, he, I think he really dug the, the tunes and, it was just a cool experience and a cool opportunity yeah. to be able to kind of do that and throw my hat in that, that ring. So, um, but you know, I, I tell you, it's like, I, I love writing and I, I love performing. I haven't been writing much at all as of late. Doug and I have, you know, kicked around and threatened to write some stuff together. But for me, it's either with that, I'm so obsessive about it. It's like, I am all either all in or I can't do it. You know, yeah. I can't, I can't just go over and write down something. I got to get in, in the, in the mode and in that zone. And then all of a sudden stuff just starts clicking and you, yeah. you know, you're, you're telling this story and then you're working it out. You know how it, it works, man. It's like, I just, and that whole process is like, you know, I got guitars to build. I can't be in the basement, you know, <laughs> typing away and writing. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, so, I mean, it, it'll come back around at some point. I'll, I'll do some more, more stuff, you know, and, uh, I just, I love it so much and I just love performing and playing and, and I'm, that's why I'm so happy with um, being able to get out and do these, these uh, oh, man. band gigs because yeah. it's just, people already know it. The material's there. The bar of entry is pretty low, but to do it right, you know, you got to have the right players and, and be proficient. So that's just, that's so much fun in itself. Well, and you chose two bands that are hallowed ground. You don't want to <clears> screw <throat> it up. <laughs> that's true <laughs> they'll let you know if you do <laughs> yes you'll get a phone call <laughs> you'll get a phone call well dude do you have time to do my lightning round absolutely man this is just i'm just gonna throw a question out and whatever bounces off your head spit it out or think about it whatever you want what's your favorite book my favorite book, I would have to say, is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which, it, you know, I did, I'm did. i doing a line of Fear and Lo Loathing in Las Vegas guitars, so, so cool, here's the Ralph Steadman with the actual paperback, you know, oh, um, so the, cool. the pages and stuff. That book is just so ridiculously outlandish, and every time I read it, I just, I'm in tears laughing. Yeah. You know? There's always, there's something new every time. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say it was something a little more uh, scholarly, but unfortunately, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know boogers went 300 miles an hour. That's fascinating. Um, are, you, <laughs> are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower, man. I don't even know if we have a bathtub in this house. <laughs> hose, sometimes a garden hose, you know. You but, uh... <laughs> or if you're surfing, that's good enough. Exactly. What's the last gift you gave someone? Uh, I think it was a um, Tommy Pearson, who is the other guitar player in the DCs, wanted to borrow. He asked if I had a baritone guitar, and I had an, an older Schechter uh, one that Ben Moody actually gave me. And so I gave it to Tommy. I said, here it is, man. If you can use it, it's yours. And so, um, I think that's what I, I think I gave him that. I think it was the last thing that's I great. gave somebody. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. As far as Kelly, uh, Kelly Lemieux knows, <laughs> 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 Kelly, I'm always, always sending Kelly uh, Sasquatch stuff. Cause he, he is full on. I mean, he goes, there's a, a Sasquatch museum here about an hour away and and there's a, a doctor or something or another and i can't remember and they, they're all in man they say that estacado which is about 15 minutes from portland is bigfoot capital of the world okay. you know so i i don't know man all i know is i'm not going in the woods looking for them right. <laughs> right. what was the what was the first concert you saw how old were you and did you get a t-shirt Oh man, this was, uh, it was Van Halen 1984 nice. at the Charlotte Coliseum. Um, I got, I was 15, maybe 14, 15, somewhere around there. I think I absolutely got the baseball, the, the quarter, oh, yeah. three quarter length sleeve baseball shirt with the, with the lion, with the, uh, the lion coming out of the bass drum with the sunglasses yeah. on. And that was it, dude. I mean, I'm just like, oh my God, that's, I mean, just the spectacle of catching them 
in the heat of that. Just the, the, that was the, the pinnacle, if you ask me, you know, yeah. of yeah. Van Halen. So, yeah. That's awesome. What was the last movie you saw in a theater? Well, with the pandemic. Um, yeah, that's a hard one. It may, it may have been Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, I think that was it. That's yeah, such a that's great a one. one. To, yeah, to see in the theater, to, just to hear the motors. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm such a car nut. I love cars. And that's, that's my next, um, my next uh, career uh, in, a, in a different life is to, to work on, on cars. And I actually, um, uh, Slash's uh, security guard, his main bodyguard, uh, a guy named Kimo Silva, great dude, lives in Vegas, and he works with a company that does all these crazy mods to cars. And I said, man, if I live there, I would be there in two seconds. And yeah. you know, I, I, my dream to do is to, to work on a car and soup it up and, you know, like an old, either an old uh, Ferrari or an old Porsche 911, strip it down to bare metal and do my bullet stars all over it. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, that that uh, Krager wheel <laughs> guitar that you did for the Seaman show is just yeah. Un- I mean, did you do that for Krager or did you just do yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> one of, uh, my, one of my buddies from, from Furman, uh, is, I think he's one of their heads of marketing or something, uh, reached out to me. He goes, can you do something for the 50th anniversary of the SS, uh, Krager rim? And I said, yeah, man. So he sent me a rim. Right. I, I put it on my bench. I walked by it, walked by it, walked by it. And I said, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I did the whole thing and carved it out of wood and had it chrome plated. That's it, actually rhodium plated. Um, okay. And it just, so it's wood, but it's rhodium plated. And I used their lug nuts and their 50th anniversary uh, rim cap on there and used and made the valve stem is the actual volume knob. So it, it's the size of an actual SS Kreger rim. Gosh, so but, so awesome. the thing only weighed about eight and a half pounds too, but it ripped, man. It, it was absolutely, it, that, that guitar screamed. Man. Are you using arc, arcane pickups most of the time, or do you just use? Yeah, whatever? most most of yeah most of the time. If somebody requests something, I'll I'll you know I'll use what if somebody wants. Um, yeah, but most of the time, arcane. Rob and I talk all the time. We were texting back and forth today, and you know I've got a um, a couple of special little tweaks I'm doing on one, and so you know cool. he he's real you know hand hands on and easy to he's just easy to work with. And makes incredible products. Yeah. So if money was no object, what guitar would you build or would you buy like a 58 Explorer or something crazy? Let me see. Um, <laughs> God, that Jackson Desert Crackle Sparkle finish <laughs> I could probably get for $500 now. Probably so. No, I, <laughs> um, I, you know, um, that's a really good question. I... I mean, I guess for the value of it, and and I mean, you know, of course, everybody's going to say fifty nine uh, Les Paul. Les Paul I'd probably yeah. go with a fifty. I'd probably go with a fifty nine Les Paul. Yeah, nah, I'm with you. I'm with you. What's your favorite? What's your favorite song to sing? My favorite song to sing, probably. Um, oh God, it's got to be an ACDC. Either a whole lot of Rosie. Um, nice. I love, um, that's a fun one to sing because it's just so balls out and challenging and, and just, I get goosebumps when I sing it, you know, and when I'm like, I just, so either. Yeah. I'm sorry. You dropped, you dropped out after, after a whole lot of Rosie. What was the second one? Um, uh, for those about to rock. Oh yeah. It's just such a powerful tune, man. And it's like, it's a challenge to sing and it's like, I get goosebumps, you know, it's like when I'm, when I'm doing it. You're going to have to build a guitar with like a 12 gauge shotgun on it. So when you play a whole lot of Rosie, since you don't have a cannon, you can use the shotgun. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Whole lot of Ro- <laughs> <laughs> yes. For those about to rock brought to you by Winchester. <laughs> so if you were, if you were cremated, where would you want your ashes spread? Well, it's funny. I just read an article yesterday. There's a a, a new uh, thing called Recom- Recompose, a company out of Seattle, where they actually compost your body. And nice. so I t- and uh, and it's it's completely environmentally friendly, um, and it's now been legalized here in Oregon. And what they do is they put you put your body in this thing, 
with alfalfa and hay and some other stuff. And it literally composts your entire body within like 30 days, I think the article said. And I, I te- immediately texted it to my wife and I said, this is, this is how I want to go out. And so, yep. I, so I, my new thing as of yesterday afternoon, I would, uh, there's a, a, a Facebook group called Buy Nothing, Sell Nothing, <clears throat> where people offer stuff up that they don't need and people put requests on there. And, and so my wife's very active on it. And we get stuff all the time, you know, and give stuff. It's great. We gave away a trampoline recently and, the, you know, a guy came and picked it up and his little kids are just loving it. And it's just awesome. It's like, you just, you know, you're doing for yeah, the neighbors. Well, absolutely. a lot of people are looking for compost on there. So I said, you can put my compost on <laughs> Buy Nothing, Sell Nothing, and now be in everybody's raised garden beds around town. <laughs> so that's my answer. <laughs> that's, the, that's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Dude, that's the best. Those are McSwain tomatoes. <laughs> Dude, absolutely. <laughs> right next to the McSwain roses, right next to the McSwain cactus, which are prickly little fellas. <laughs> awesome. So what would you oh, what would man. you be doing if you weren't building guitars? I mean, would you would you actually do be building cars and stuff? either that or I think I would be a mechanical engineer um, or, or, or like an architect or something, because I just love building stuff, man. And it's just, it's not confined to guitars. It's, I mean, we, um, you know, of course last year, everybody's doing stuff in their backyards and we created this whole grill area, which I poured concrete countertops and did all this stuff to it, you know, where, I actually had my laser cutters cut McSwain, my signature, about a foot long and inlay that in the bar. So oh, as uh, so arrogant cool. and, and uh, self-centered as it is, <laughs> you're sitting at the McSwain bar, you know. But I love building stuff, man. That's like So I would either be an architect or a mechanical engineer. Dude, you should make a grill with your signature in the in – the- metal backwards so when you pull the steak off it says mcswain on the steak <laughs> but see then i'm opening myself up to man this steak right. like crap. this thing sucks <laughs> well what are you listening to for fun these days god you know um i listen to a lot of podcasts uh mainly um but i tell you some of the stuff that i've been going back to is you know i went poured through the Van Halen catalog um, after Eddie passed and just, you know, I mean, I I just tear up listening to it. You know, I mean, it it take me back to like, uh, especially with women and children first, I kept getting these faint, faint smells of, uh, of uh, lawnmower fumes because that was what I listened to when I was mowing grass in eighth grade, you know, and it's like, man. there's a band that mm. I absolutely love and I don't think they're around anymore called the temperance movement. They're from England. Okay. And it was like, yeah, do you know them? Uh-uh. I'm going to listen to them they, tonight. They, um, they were very reminiscent of early black crows. And oh, okay. just, I mean, the singer was just, uh, Oh my God, just a, amazing they came through portland and i bought like 20 tickets and just gave them out to my friends and there were maybe 50 people in the audience and they just blew the roof off the joint man and came out afterwards the nicest people and the dudes mm. are just just real raw so i listened to them um there's uh that uh, I'm, I'm just a rock and roll dude you know it's like yeah, I, I love um that band dirty honey's just killing it yeah yeah mark those guys are mark uh the singer bruce is it broussard mark bruce i can't remember his last name but I saw him at NAM in uh, uh, early 2020 before uh, everything shut down at the Gibson party. And he got up there and just destroyed some uh, Aerosmith mm. and just, uh, I think it was last child. I mean, that guy's got range for days and yeah. just the tone control and everything. So I really dig them a lot too. It's funny what you're saying about Eddie. Cause to me, there's, there's, there's so many great guitarists, so many guys that you, you that turn your head. And then there's Eddie Van Halen, and he turns everybody's heads. And and to me, like the last guy, the really the last guy, and I hope I don't make anybody mad, that really did that in a metal world would have been Dimebag. And, oh yeah. And True. now they're they're both gone, and I just keep waiting. <clears throat> 
And it's not about fast and it's not about what it's just nope. about feel and tone and every and I just I just keep waiting for that next guy and I, and I, and I hate even saying that cuz there's so many great guitar players out there. But I don't know. I'm I'm just waiting. I tell you well, I tell you the the one that that you know, and it's not just because I love him to death, but Phil X, man, that dude, oh yeah, I yep. mean, just he has that something that you know, like you yeah. said, you, he he picks up a guitar and it's Phil X, it's in right. the fingers, man. And I I think if anybody, it's just I I just I hate to say this, but I think everybody's attention spans are so scattered with yeah. social media and everything that people just don't focus on music like like that you know, and, or, or obsess over a player like that anymore. And yeah. I hope that changes. Um, you know, I think, um, I, I hope it does, but I think Phil would be that guy for me. Dude, I, <laughs> I, I still want my MTV. I want to see videos. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I want to yeah. be able to walk through the living room on the way to take a shower and go, what the crap is that? And it's, I it's like you run said, run home from high school. Yep. Turn it on. Yeah, now you have 5,000 ways to find a song, and sometimes you just give up and just go build a guitar. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, what's, true. <laughs> well, what's next? What haven't I asked you about? You want to say what your socials are and stuff? Yeah, I'm uh, McSwain Guitars on Facebook. I, I had one that was supposed to kind of go the way of the Dodo Bird when I started the official McSwain Guitars <laughs> business one, but there's Stephen McSwain on there and then there's McSwain Guitars, but they kind of post the same stuff. Uh, Instagram, I'm, I'm trying to post daily on that and just getting stuff up. Uh, Twitter, it usually replicates across the three of them. So, um, and then of course my website, which is McSwainGuitars.com. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much where I am. Where's your uh, MySpace address? <laughs> I know. Seriously. I, I wonder if that's still kicking around. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <Friendster. don't. laughs> well, I'm going to say goodbye and shut this off and then I'll actually say goodbye to you. Well, man, I appreciate you uh, so much and, and I'm just honored that you would want to have me on here and let me gab and gab. So, uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, I, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Stephen. Well, dude, if you ever come out to Portland, you, you know, you got a place to stay. So we'll go uh, hit those uh, IPAs and coffee shops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will do it. Thank you. See you later. Thank you, bud. All right, man. <laughs>